Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of Let's Talk Loyalty. And today's episode is my very first show focused on building loyalty with consumers in mainland China. Lagardère Travel Retail is a company that has been in business for over 160 years and actually operates almost 5,000 stores around the world, mainly in airports and railway stations. I'm joined by Adam McCarthy, Chief Information Officer, and Oud Fabre, the Chief Executive Officer for Lagardère Travel Retail, based in Shanghai. In today's interview, the gentlemen share their two extraordinary loyalty programs, and in particular, the incredibly powerful new strategy they launched as a direct result of the pandemic, which affected their business so much last year. So, Oud Fabre and Adam McCarthy, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hello. Hello there. Nice to be with you. Wonderful. Great stuff. Lovely to chat to you both today. So um, we're going to talk through a very exciting concept in loyalty and travel retail particularly. And I think what I'm particularly excited about in today's show is um, the level of innovation and I suppose the real evolution of the uh, story that you're going to tell us in terms of your loyalty program and more interestingly as well, some innovation in terms of video commerce. So uh, Oud, you're the Chief Executive Officer of Legal travel retail for North Asia. So uh, first and foremost, tell me, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? It's not a statistics per se, it's more of a fact. Um, but I was really impressed by the fact that um, a lot of travel-related businesses, uh, including airlines and hotels, uh, found that during the uh, height of the uh, COVID crisis, which really um, brought their core business to their knees, they were able to leverage the value of their um, loyalty programs either directly uh, to continue communicating and selling to their customers uh, through through the grounding, uh, or indirectly, uh, they were able to uh, leverage that loyalty base um, financially uh, uh, to borrow against in order to keep their business afloat. Uh, and I think that really uh, shows the uh, intrinsic value of these loyalty programs that have been built up over the years mm-hmm. uh, and um, is like really highlights the fact that um, loyalty in itself uh, is, is an asset. It sure is. Absolutely. Ud, well said. And you're definitely preaching to the converted here. So um, we're all super happy to to hear, you know, another leading uh, retail figure really advocating for the loyalty concept. Um, so that's super exciting from my perspective. I'd love you just to explain Lagardère um, just as a company um, and really, I suppose, how you got into the, the loyalty business, because I know it's still a fairly young proposition from your perspective. And Adam, obviously, it's you know, be interested to get your perspective along the way as well in terms of your experience. I know you've always said Oud is the real visionary in terms of this entire concept, um, but I'm sure operationally you've got plenty of stories to tell us as well. So, so Oud, I'd love you just to explain uh, the, the travel retail business and um, that you operate and, and what um, role loyalty plays within that. Yes, of course. Uh, our company, like our travel retail, is one of the leaders in our retail and travel locations. 
including uh, airports, of course, uh, mm -hmm. but also train stations uh, and uh, tourist sites. Um, our business covers all segments of travel retail, uh, including uh, duty-free and luxury, mm -hmm. uh, but also news, convenience, specialty retail, gifts, etc., mm -hmm. um, and uh, food and beverage. Mm -hmm. um, so we're pr present in over 270 airports worldwide wow. um, and um, 750 train stations uh, with a total of almost 500, uh, sorry, 5,000 uh, stores. Wow, that's extraordinary. And I saw on your website as well, Oud, that uh, turnover in 2020 was 2.3 billion euro. So extraordinary uh, business that, that you guys are operating worldwide. So where did the, the concept for a loyalty program come, Oud? I know you have uh, two loyalty programs. So, so when did you first think, actually, that's something that we really should be doing? I think we started in earnest uh, about three years ago. Um, where we realized that a lot of our customers were actually uh, frequent travelers mm -hmm. um, and um, were coming to the airport, uh, you know, uh, uh, at least once a month, but for some of them even, even more frequently. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the second reason uh, behind it is uh, our network was growing rapidly. We now have a presence in over uh, 25 airports mm -hmm. in, um, in mainland China. Um, and of course, we, we know that, you know, if people take the plane from one airport, uh, it means that they're landing in another um, and possibly returning from that same airport. Um, so we, we, really, uh, we really saw the opportunity to connect with our customers um, on their journey, whether it be outbound or inbound, um, and uh, build an affinity and build the loyalty of these customers uh, who um, are frequent travelers um, and frequent um, shoppers at the airport. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And Adam, from your perspective, I'm sure you were already a very busy man, um, you know, making sure all of these uh, stores operate very efficiently from a technology perspective. So what was your um, initial view, I suppose, of the concept of a loyalty program for the business? Is it something that you were excited about, you understood the potential of, or, or, or what was your view at the time? I understood the potential. I felt that it was kind of becoming a requirement, mm -hmm. to be honest. So Uds and I were extremely well aligned. Mm -hmm. What I didn't fully anticipate was the complexity that spirals <laughs> into place very quickly and you need to have somebody to keep it streamlined. Yeah. And I and I think also I wasn't aware of just how quickly you go from, you know, we need a loyalty program to so what we have one. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there's a lot of undifferentiated, you know, uh, probably low yielding in terms of value programs. And if you yeah. don't have someone who's constantly pushing on how to monetize it and make it actually viable to yeah. the members, to the customers, to the business, mm. that was stuff that I didn't anticipate. But again, thankfully, Ood and the team has been very good at um, always keeping strong sponsorship and in a strong commercial focus. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And and they are very much um, magic words, Adam, from my perspective. I've always said I'm a very commercial marketeer. So even before I worked in loyalty programs, you know, I never really understood how you could keep spending without being able to track the return. So, so absolutely critical to make sure we have that commercial perspective. And uh, yes, it's also just I'm smiling that you acknowledge the complexity, because I think from my perspective, a lot of the time what happens is, you know, people do have perhaps a vision like good and 
and say, great, yeah, a loyalty program will add value to the business, uh, but perhaps underinvest in terms of, you know, whether it's the technology or the people or literally, you know, running these programs. And I remember, Oud, when we spoke the last time, you told me that um, not too long ago, the, the customer database was on a spreadsheet. So, um, you know, it has taken a time to, to formalize getting it into a structured proposition. Um, so, yeah, how was that whole journey in terms of uh, transitioning from uh, nothing to, I think you've said you've, what, over a million members now, is it? Uh, yes, a combined membership of 1.6 million active members. Wonderful. Um, you're right. We started, uh, we started uh, very, very basic. Um, indeed, for, for quite a while at the beginning, we were just using an Excel sh- sheet yep. uh, to um, compile and keep track of our members' um, uh, visits and spends. Um, and that we've we've been through several phases of uh, of the program. Mm. Um, at first, it was just um, you know a uh, a basic recognition tool. Uh, okay. So when people came back, we were able to um, to recognize them, and over time, we were able to personalize the service mm. um, and also uh, give them recognition uh, for their for their loyalty. Mm. Um, after after a year or two, I guess we decided to. Um, uh, roll out a more sophisticated software platform mm. uh, to have you know the basic features of loyalty, including uh, points, earn and burn, uh, tiers, um, etc. But it was still a relatively basic concept um, with um, you know it's relatively simple software um, and really like a relatively un- 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 sorry unimaginative unimaginative <laughs> relatively unimaginative. <laughs> Um, uh, a mechanism, uh, but we, but we've, um, we, we went through, um, we went through these, uh, these phases. And I think for us, like the biggest accelerator, uh, was the, uh, COVID crisis where, uh, traffic in our airports, um, dropped, uh, quickly and dramatically, yeah. uh, just about a year ago. Yeah. Um, and we, we saw that, uh, our loyalty program, uh, could be a tool to, you know, continue, uh, maintaining contact with our customers and continue to do sales, uh, yeah. even though they were unable to travel and yeah. unable to come to our stores. Um, and I think, like the, like you know, this time of uh, crisis uh, really opened our eyes uh, to the possibilities. Mm-hmm. We also saw uh, changes uh, in the in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of just having a, you know a loyalty program with uh, uh, points accumulating. Um, and, uh, you know, people taking their points, but not really making use of them. Um, we made the program evolved uh, in two directions. One, uh, that's, you know, a direction that's more sales focused, uh, including um, uh, latching onto the trend of uh, live stream um, and um, other, you know, uh, online commerce uh, techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, which is what I would call a social loyalty, uh, where instead of you know the, the loyalty program just being a program, um, it's more of a club um, where you know members are not only uh, members of our loyalty program, but they also um, part of uh, a club of you know people with similar uh, interests um, and make it to make it more interactive uh, and more social. Mm. Um, so ultimately, we want people to, um, of course, through loyalty program. 
um, shop with us and shop with us more often. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also hope that our customers can interact not only with our team, but also between each other um, and uh, hopefully even, you know, build new friendships, acquaintances um, and get more out of um, shopping, you know, beyond just uh, spending, actually having a good time on um, being part of our program um, mm -hmm. and making new connections. Yeah, yeah. And Adam, I can see you nodding as well. Um, and I guess what I'm not familiar with is really, I suppose, loyalty in China just in general. Would you guys say that there is this um, level of sophistication that I maybe would associate Chinese consumers with being uh, digitally savvy um, and that's global reputation for interacting on WeChat for, for your entire life? Um, would you guys say that the same concept of sophistication applies for loyalty concepts? Concepts as well, like I don't even know what other big loyalty programs in China might be well known or well respected. Uh, definitely, I think um, yeah, of course you're right. Uh, Chinese consumers are very digitally savvy uh, and spend a lot of time uh, on social social networks or on their um, on apps on their phone. Um, but I think uh, beyond that, uh, there is now a fusion of um, you know, shopping and uh, social media, like we can't see in uh, any other market. Uh, so whether it be, uh, you know, what they call social buying, where people get together to, uh, to buy uh, a specific item from a specific, a specific vendor, or even a uh, live stream, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, like uh, a modernized version of the home shopping network, but that's much more interactive uh, where people can uh, interact with the host, uh, people can also interact with each other, can you know ask questions, comment, make jokes, uh, etc. Um, it's uh, it's not only shopping; it's also uh, entertainment. Uh, and I think the loyalty aspect of it comes naturally uh, because you know you're having a good time. Uh, you're you have access uh, to uh, products you like, um, and you're doing it at the same time as all these other people who, you know, uh, on some level share the same interests as you. Uh, so it's not, it's not only consumption, uh, it's also entertainment. Um, and I think there's, uh, there's great value to be created uh, for, for everybody involved. Yeah, that's a really big insight, Ude, because I often think, you know, uh, you know, the whole online or sorry, TV shopping in the past was a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine, purely because, well, partly, I suppose, from a professional point of view, I was intrigued as to the, the sales techniques that were being employed um, and how compelling I found them. And generally, I really didn't need the stuff. Um, and, and I was quite restrained, I will say. I didn't go to go too crazy, but I, I admired the presentation skills and the fact that an entire sales channel could exist in a TV format. And as I was preparing for today, in fact, um, some of the insights that I came across was exactly as you said, Ud, you know, the, the TV shopping, I'll call it, or, or online shopping in video format is very much more engaging than e-commerce, which just feels so transactional most of the time. But yet it's much more accessible, particularly in COVID times than the high street or particularly, obviously, travel retail. So I do think it's a genius insight. Um, I've seen it called 
maybe the, the third way to shop. So, um, and I know, Adam, you kind of highlighted a couple of big differences in terms of, you know, how your format, uh, particularly for Lagardere travel retail, the live shopping, as distinct from the TV uh, shopping experiences of the past. So, so how would you distinguish um, how it's evolved over the last, I guess it must be 20 years now? Well, I mean, it's really simple. It's it's simply more interactive. It's faster. Uh, it's more easily consumable. But what I was just thinking about as Ud was describing uh, the customer difference in China and, and what you were talking about, I think the overarching theme, whether it's streaming or not, or other aspects of the loyalty program is particularly in China, there's much more of a sense of an ecosystem. Mm. And I think that's probably more... Okay. more relevant because there's multiple places where you can stream and buy stuff online, gotcha. uh, particularly in China. Okay. But what, Ud, what Ud's really focuses on is quite true, particularly with Chinese customers. They get that the whole thing's an experience. They understand that, you know, yes, yeah. there's yeah. commercial drivers that facilitate that experience, yeah. but the social aspect, the, the engagement, yeah. um, Ud, the thing I was thinking about was before COVID, you actually had a couple of customer appreciation dinners for like the VIP members. And the very first one was quite small. And that was an in-person private shopping experience. Nice. But as the loyalty program grew, I remember the next dinner we had went from, I think it was like maybe 10 people, 15 people at the table. I think the next dinner had, you know, at least like 150 or more. <laughs> yeah. um, and it became, it actually became a really um, useful uh, networking event. So oh, to Ud's point, the, yeah. the program was already being used to add value in terms of the shopping experience to, yeah. to creating engaging uh, customer appreciation yeah. but it also became a useful way as we said for like-minded and similarly dispositioned people yeah to further connect with each other through a common venue or place and and i think that sort of appreciation of an ecosystem yeah is probably more important and, and on yes. the streaming again it's actually quite simple i'd say it's that it, it's very easy to just in real time you know always be able to go to the point in time. I think old TV streaming, you you had to wait till a certain hour. Yes. You know, if you wanted to buy like hats or jewelry or whatever, you had to wait till like 11 o'clock at night and yeah. maybe then the good deal uh, didn't show up fast enough. But in, in streaming, you've got real time. You've got the ability to go back, right? You've got the ability to uh, engage on other channel, like omni-channel outside of just the stream itself. And I think that high availability interconnectedness is probably the, the biggest differentiator from the old time, you know, yes. dial someone up on the TV. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. My goodness, so many questions coming to mind. Even the dinners that you mentioned, Adam, I could absolutely imagine, particularly high profile shoppers um, from your VIP program, particularly um, shopping in luxury boutiques, for example, and connecting them over a dinner. Um, that's a very special experience and, and very aspirational. So I would totally, you know, I could imagine being one of those uh, people that would want to be invited um, and aspire to join an event like that. Um, and the ecosystem point, Adam, is a very good one as well, um, because again, what I'm seeing is happening in China is this understanding, as you said, the entertainment value, the connection and the humanity. So I think we talked before that, you know, QVC was very much a one way thing and you were being sold to the whole time. And as I said, I would enjoy that experience. But I think consumers in this day and age and maybe China is more advanced, but I'm not sure. I think it's just a human thing where 
where we actually want to connect with people and maybe have a conversation on the side with, you know, well, what do you think about perfume? You know, if you tried it or, you know, I could just imagine the depth of connection that you're facilitating. So I'd love to just talk a bit more, maybe Ud, if you would explain the live streaming concept. I think you um, explained to me the previous time that obviously the traffic fell through the floor in terms of um, the, the travel business, as we all know. Uh, China was the first place, again, that was uh, so badly affected. I do think you also mentioned, by the way, the traffic is almost back to where it was before the pandemic. So it almost feels like in a full 12 month circle, you've come, you know, literally come back to, to your starting point. Is, is that what uh, what's happening right now? Um, yes, I'd say um, the our, our live streaming really started um, because we had um, so many people idle, um, so many stores open in airports with uh, with no traffic. So it really started out of necessity, um, and we we experimented with different formats. Uh, we even you know hired uh, external KOLs uh, to be the hosts, etc. Okay. Uh, but what we found uh, over time is um, first our customers were very responsive uh, to the um, to the experience, um, and people were you know um, uh, prevented from traveling or prevented from even leaving the house. Um, but that didn't mean that they didn't want to shop. And it also uh, meant that they had, you know, more time on their hands than ever before. Mm. Um, we, we also, we quickly found out that actually um, what our customers uh, enjoyed and valued uh, was the genuine aspect of the live stream um, okay. and interacting with our sales staff um, who are experts in the product. Um, on a um, you know a more intimate level, so okay. I think people weren't um, people weren't so concerned about uh, about the professionalism of the uh, production, uh, or weren't so concerned about talking with uh, famous people. Okay. Um, on the contrary, they were more uh, they were more into uh, just like the genuine aspect of it, um, and like the interactivity. Nice. Uh, meaning a live stream is uh, it's not scripted; yes. uh, it's improvised. Um, and uh, you know, customers can be part of the part of the show, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and the way the live stream unfolds uh, is uh, very much driven by uh, by the audience. Um, and a lot of it, you know, is just off the cuff um, and uh, just kind of made up as uh, as we go. Uh, so I think uh, I think a lot of people are uh, actually enjoy the fact that it's not um, it's not scripted, it's not pre-produced. Uh, it's very much an open platform, um, and um, it, you know, surprises can come up, but they are not uh, manufactured. They're just natural, yeah. um, and um, you know, just um, yeah, uh, just very free flowing, uh, and uh, and yeah, as I said, uh, genuine. Wonderful. Wow. And um, I, I really like that idea of unfolding with the, the audience. I hadn't understand, understood that part of it. Um, but this whole concept then of, um, as you said, you mentioned KOLs actually, Oud. Is that a, a term for professional presenters? Is that what you meant when you initially had an external person coming in? Uh, well, there's, yes, there's, there's many, many different types of KOLs, but essentially, uh, what we call KOL are people who manage to make a living, uh, not by having a natural job, okay. uh, but by uh, you know appearing online uh, and having a fan base okay. and leveraging that uh, following to to sell. I understand. Um, 
So there's there's a, there's a lot of people who are you know I have audiences of varying sizes, um, but who really do not for a living. Okay. Um, and um, initially, we so we worked with some of these uh, you know like small celebrities uh, who had their who had their uh, their big following. Mm. Um, but we realized that um, a lot of people on our team were actually you know um, uh, quite natural and quite talented uh, at building this uh, this connection. Uh, with with people, uh, so it's um, ultimately we we focused more on like you know uh, promoting our own internal KOL, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and you know, giving everybody in our team uh, a chance to be a star um, and uh, uh, build up their own um, I follow like I yeah. you know, followers yeah. okay. um, and their own audience. Wow. Um, so, so I think it's that that's been like one of the you know big learnings is like you don't need uh, you don't need much to become famous. Uh, you just need to be uh, you know quick thinking, witty, um, and um, you know appealing, yeah. uh, and um, that builds loyalty uh, quite quickly. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. So influencers, I guess, is the term that I would probably have uh, been familiar with. So so really yes. good to know how how big that industry is in China. Again, I know it by reputation, but good to understand the terminology. And the other thing you had explained to me as well, Ud, before we came on air was the uh, the transition you made from um, big open platforms such as the Chinese version of TikTok into um, a more closed mini program on WeChat, which is exclusively for your loyalty program members and I know you do have two versions of your loyalty program but that sounded like it was an important uh, strategic decision as well for you uh, yes absolutely because uh, you're right to point out we have two loyalty programs one is uh, focused on uh, luxury brands mm. uh, and uh, luxury customers and the other one is um, more meant to be more mass market um, and covers our specialty retail um, and uh, food and beverage mm. um, is specifically for luxury. The reason why we shifted to a, um, a kind of like a members only on a closed environment is because our customers ultimately want uh, personalized attention. Um, so it's not only about uh, saving money. Mm. Uh, it's not only about uh, you know earning points and redeeming them. It's really about having. Um, exciting and one-on-one -on -one interactions with our teams. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not, not one of our customers is the same as the as the other. Mm -hmm. um, so, in order to be able to provide this, you know, personalized experience, um, we decided to build our own mini program, which then also allows us to reach out to customers uh, at different times in different forms, mm -hmm. uh, and also to uh, group them. Um, you know, by areas of interest or by location mm. uh, or by uh, brands they like, um, et cetera. Um, and Adam was mentioning the, uh, the the big events that we had um, in the past. Um, we, we still have those, but we've also created much smaller, more intimate events, you know, maybe only 15 or 20 people, uh, but that, that we bring together because we think they will actually enjoy their company, um, each other's company rather, uh, and, um, you know, make it more of a, again, like more of a, a, a social thing uh, rather than um, kind of like a catch-all um, event that appeals to everybody. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been, um, it, it, again, like, you know, uh, luxury customers, by definition, have, um, have money to spend. Uh, but what they value is their time 
Um, and what they value is the um, the personalization of, uh, of service. Yeah. Uh, so we felt, you know, by uh, by implementing our own mini program, mm-hmm. uh, we were then in a good position to really um, better segment uh, mm-hmm. the way we um, we talk to customers. Um, and also that allows us to be very quick and innovative. Um, it's a platform that we control. So when we decide to, you know, add a feature or change a feature, um, we can we can do it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, also, you know, like test new ideas I'm without without delay. Mm. Yeah, and I was just thinking about the infrastructure, particularly as you mentioned that um, you started in a bootlegged fashion. I know um, in store, as you said, with your own staff, um, learning by doing, and then professionalized all the way up. So, Adam, from your perspective, have you um, had to add a lot more support in terms of just particularly, I suppose, on the live streaming side, or even just on the on the the, the loyalty uh, membership itself? Uh, multifaceted question. I, I'd say purely from infrastructure. Um, on the on the on the side where the actual work gets done, the selling happens. I think what's nice about Lagardere uh, North Asia is there's a very, um, very strong team spirit. So people are always willing to put on another hat. Yeah. Uh, the success of the company is very important to them and uh, deeply yeah. meaningful. So that that part. Nice. Didn't really require significant additional investment, although it has grown just so that we can mature the operation. Yeah. From the infrastructure side, um, I'd say the first platform we chose to work with, um, there were a lot of lessons learned there, and especially about how even infrastructure costs can spiral out of control, third-party costs can spiral out of control, mm. uh, build your own versus you know lease from somebody else, just tons and tons of things. I, I think... I think we've learned painfully from uh, those lessons, and now we've kind of hit a, a good middle ground on some of those things uh, using a, a more established um, platform that has multiple members and that, for example, can guarantee responsiveness, uptime, et cetera. Mm. Um, I'd say in terms of on the vendors, we've been quite smart about decoupling uh, each part of the technology okay. so that if one vendor isn't doing a good job or we need to enhance something, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, take down the entire solution. Okay. Um, and then I'd like to say there's more cost control, but I think that Uber was just kind enough to accept the pain that the first run <laughs> uh, created. Okay. And he just hasn't cramped, cramped down too hard on, on uh, the second run. But I definitely think we've kept the spiraling um, okay. from continuing. And now we've got a pretty solid baseline for, um, I'd say almost low variable, nearly fixed costs of operation. And that's, okay. that's helpful on the technology side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So what would, uh, what would you say is next dude in terms of, um, what is your vision for, let's say even the next 12 months, because it feels like 12 months, particularly in China and particularly post pandemic is, is a very long time. So you've, you've obviously excelled. I know you're always already double daily, for example, with the live streaming. Um, and you mentioned anything from maybe a hundred to a couple of thousand people attending those, um, those online live events. So is that something you see that just is going to continue to scale um, or, or any um, further evolution that you have already in mind? Uh, yes, definitely. I think we have two objectives uh, over the next few months. Um, one is for our Boulardulux uh, luxury program yeah. um, is to continue enhancing the value of the program, uh, moving more towards what I was talking about with the um, uh, social loyalty aspect. 
Yeah. Uh, so continuing actually uh, to give our customers the chance to build uh, uh, social and um, uh, physical connections um, and also really enhancing the value of the program beyond just the monetary aspect or the you know point redemption uh, aspect of it. Um, so there's, and I think like our, our key advantage in the space um, is that we really have both the online and the offline uh, mm-hmm. aspect of aspects of our business, mm-hmm. which we can uh, really leverage. Um, so people have an exceptional experience when they are at the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, where they, they get to use our VIP lounges mm-hmm. or interact with our personal shoppers mm-hmm. or when they are, you know, at home. So they're not at the airport. Uh, we can still reach out to them um, and give them personalized service um, and, um, you know, like inquire about anything they want or need um, and maintain that connection until the next time they travel. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's something that I uh, will will keep pursuing for the months ahead mm-hmm. um, and to really make our loyalty program stand out uh, and create more value for our customers and our brand partners. Um, then on our, our other program, uh, Voyage, which is which covers our you know bookstores, convenience stores, uh, food and beverage outlets. Um, the the objective is really to accelerate uh, the growth of the program uh, in order to have um, a significantly bigger membership. Right now, it's about a million members. Um, we want to quickly get the two million, uh, and like the uh, near term goal is to get the five million uh, in order to have. Um, a membership base that is strong enough and active enough uh, to be able to um, build partnerships uh, with um, with third party companies, whether the airlines or banks, um, etc. Nice. Um, so these two loyalty programs are going into somewhat different directions, but mm-hmm. they actually also overlap. So we have a lot of customers that are members of both uh, because you know people who like luxury goods also eat. Uh, people who, um, you know, yeah. uh, like great books also buy, uh, buy cosmetics. Yeah. Um, so, so there's, so, uh, while we're developing these two programs in different directions, um, we also want to create more, um, more connections between the two, yeah. um, in order to be able to, um, have a more comprehensive approach uh, to meeting our, our members' needs and desires. Yeah, yeah. And often on this show, Ud, we would talk about the um, the evolution from transactional loyalty to emotional loyalty. And it, it's rare that we have concrete examples of exactly how you do that. So, um, so just want to acknowledge that you're doing extraordinary work, just bringing the humanity, I think, back into commerce, because I do think um, there's a risk of, you know, just becoming very uh, commercially focused. Um, and I think particularly if there isn't an understanding at the very time, top levels of a company of the importance of, you know, how the individual experiences the loyalty program. I think it can go too far in one direction, but I can see you're absolutely building that that humanity piece. And what I wanted to ask you, actually, just as you were talking, Oud, um, even before about your um, your staff and, you know, Adam mentioned the um, the enjoyment and team spirit that you have there with Lagarde. Um, would you say, like, that you're increasing even their loyalty to you as employees because they're getting to build their personal brand. They're getting to be these mini celebrities. So so I can just see that that being becoming an even more extraordinary place to work because of the, the visibility they're getting and how well they get to do their job in a very innovative way. Well, it's true. I mean, first, of course, we're a retail company. So 
Uh, the, me the mean measure of success is, uh, is sales. Um, but I think most importantly, uh, it's given everybody on our team uh, the opportunity to uh, take on new responsibilities, uh, take on new roles, um, and experiment. Um, and I think the, 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 the good thing about live stream is that it's live, right? So uh, yeah. if you, you know, uh, make, a, make a, a mistake or embarrass yourself, well, it's quickly forgotten. <laughs> Uh, and you know we move on, move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, so my, so I think like our, our team has been um, has been very proactive uh, in I uh, you know thinking of uh, new ideas, new models, um, and um, just uh, new ways to uh, to impress our customers. Um, and I think it's uh, yeah people are, are grateful when they have an opportunity to uh, express themselves mm -hmm. um, and you know contribute to the conversation. Uh, instead of just uh, following orders uh, or, you know, um, waiting for a script. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think in, in that respect, uh, it's really given um, a lot of people on our team an opportunity to, to shine. Um, and a lot of people who are, you know, um, natural extroverts uh, to, gain a, to gain a bigger audience. So, totally. so I think, yes, it's, it's definitely made us um, a better place to work yeah. uh, because, yeah. it's, uh, because it's fun. Yeah. Uh, and also because it's obviously an additional, um, you know, earning opportunity yeah. uh, for, for our team members. Yeah, for sure. And and I really think, you know, it, there, there's lessons there for, for particularly anyone in retail, Oud, you know, I mean, they're just, and I don't know if it's limited to, to China. I really think, again, as you know, a lot of people listening to this show are, are you know, all over the world, clearly um, United States, UK. And I do think that there's um, big insights that you're sharing that could be, you know, maybe the silver lining for so many people who are struggling in their retail businesses um, and don't have opportunities opportunities again to to have that in-person retail experience so well, i definitely it's think in, yeah it's true in, in china obviously we have the advantage of having uh these social media platforms that have you know huge memberships yeah um, and you know um our technology that's that's uh, ready made to reach out to these people yeah but to your point i think yes between the you know traditional brick and mortar brick and mortar retail uh which obviously is uh, you know like suffering uh, and even more so because of the COVID crisis yeah. on one hand, uh, and just the, um, uh, you know, like uh, anonymous uh, e-commerce. I think yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a, you know, a third way, uh, which is, I guess you could call it people power e-commerce, uh, totally. where, you know, where um, you have the benefits of the, you know, convenience and the always on, always available um, and um, just endless choice of e-commerce. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, injecting a bit of the humanity uh, of um, offline retail back into it. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, you know, like uh, e-commerce, it's yes, it's convenient, uh, it's fast and it's cheap, but it's also lonely um, and yeah. uh, to some extent, you know, not that exciting. Totally. Um, yeah. So, so I think there's there's definitely, you know, regardless of the technology uh, requirements or limitations, there, there's definitely a way uh, to leverage, you know, the human interactions that exist uh, in um, offline retail. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, like I yeah. add like an e-commerce layer uh, to that. So I think it's it's not about it's not just about you know thinking about you know waiting uh, to have like the right technology in place. Yeah. Uh, it's really it's really you know thinking about how to 
I'll leverage what you already have, the yeah. customer base that you already know, yeah. um, and uh, to have a more a more regular um, uh, interaction with them uh, through um, through the medium of technology. Totally, totally. And you're right, Ud, to, to um, you know, I suppose, really highlight that this is so much easier in theory um, because you have the WeChat platform available. Um, my, you know, big regret is that, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get onto WeChat being outside of China and not having any any connections to do that, um, certainly easily. But even just as, a, as an aside, I will be doing a show um, in a couple of weeks' time uh, just talking about WhatsApp and, you know, its potential as it starts to move in to uh, more, you know, commerce as well on that, you know, clearly uh, purely a messaging platform at the moment, but, you know, evolving very quickly as we know. Um, and I was actually just in a luxury retailer myself last weekend and I was amazed when I did show something, uh, an interest in something, the sales staff immediately asked for my WhatsApp and that hasn't happened in any other uh, retail environment as yet. And I was impressed. And again, the salesperson followed up and, and sent me stuff that I loved. So I definitely think think um, even though the technology globally isn't as sophisticated as the ecosystem you have there, we definitely still have potential, at least to go where the customers are, you know? Um, For sure. I think, of course, the the advantage of WeChat is that um, uh, it has the user base and it allows the uh, mini programs, which, you know, allow you to build up like a full, a full, fully fledged uh, e-commerce website, including payments, et cetera. Uh, But to your point, uh, in even if markets where WeChat penetration is lower uh, and WhatsApp is more popular, such as, for example, Hong Kong, okay. uh, we're, able to, we're able to achieve the same, same objectives uh, right. through WhatsApp groups um, and uh, through you know, one-on-one interactions uh, yeah. through WhatsApp. Of course, it's more fiddly, it's more manual, yeah. uh, the payment has to be done uh, separately, um, but, the, but the idea and the end result uh, are ultimately the same. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you said, actually, you know, in its simplest form, we, we're all here, you know, in terms of sales, you know, so, um, you know, at the, with the best will in the world, engagement is, is not purely for its own sake. It is to make sure that we are building viable businesses. So, yes, it might be a bit clunky behind the scenes for us at the moment on our WhatsApp platforms, but um, but ultimately it's getting to what the consumer needs. And that's the most important thing. So I'm super happy that we've had such an extensive conversation about um, building loyal behavior. And I've often said on the show, the reason I call it Let's Talk Loyalty and not Let's Talk Loyalty programs is exactly for these kind of conversations. Because what I'm hearing is that you're giving people something extraordinary that they uh, that they want to connect with. They want to be customers of yours. Um, so from my side, it really is a fascinating study and I'll be watching it super closely. Is there anything else? Um, maybe Adam? from your side before we wrap up that you want to say and then Ud as well if you want to have any kind of closing comments uh i think when we talked earlier the thing the thing that i if i had if i was listening to this program and i wanted to take away i think it's about sponsorship and it's about commitment to the sponsorship and i think uh a lot of the stuff i've learned from seeing and being part of a loyalty program is it's one thing to have an idea it's one thing to have a vision right it's one thing to be willing to invest money, but it doesn't stop there, right? You have to have that sponsor who's willing and able to stay involved and connected, driving it forward. Um, even when it looks like you're just losing a lot of money. And if the program looks like a pretty boring, um, 
I'll uh, just spend some money, get some points, maybe use them. And there's, if there's nothing differentiated, you're probably not going to have a good outcome. So you've got to constantly find what are these new mechanisms to connect with the customer and do something different. Um, and I would say that if you start doing the program or your, your program or your loyalty system correctly, it should probably make you start looking at all the other ones you encounter with, with a more critical eye. Because I'll be honest, the, the biggest thing I've noticed from, from this is, uh, Ud, you know, you and I both uh, used to like to travel a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. and, uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered and, and gracious that, you know, some of the frequent flyer programs and accommodation programs yeah. have done things like maintain your status because you can't help yeah. not being able to maintain it, et cetera. Yeah. But I have started thinking, man, why don't you guys try to connect with me? Why don't you try to, you know, yeah. sell me something? I mean, it, it sounds weird, but yeah. once you see how well it, it works, you think, man, it'd be nice if some of the hotels would say, hey, by the way, we've had these shops. There's some stuff we want to do. Yeah. It might appeal to you because of what we know about you. And and that's the thing I would say. If, you're, if your loyalty program is done right, yeah. they should really start making you cast a more critical eye on all the other programs you work yes. with. Yes, yes. And, and rightly so, Adam, like I totally, you know, <laughs> I'm the biggest critic when it comes to loyalty programs. And I've, I've again, talked about it before, particularly on big occasions, you know, like how am I treated um, on particular mm. key occasions during the year? So they're missing more opportunities than they're taking in my certainly experience. So, um, yeah. so thank you for that, Adam. And uh, Ud, final parting comments from your side? No, I'd just like to say thank you for the opportunity to, to share. Um, and I think um, you're you're doing something great here because uh, loyalty used to be somewhat of uh, an afterthought or you know just an add-on to to a business model that was working fine. Mm. Uh, whereas now I think it's shifting to, towards more being the business model in its own. Um, and um, it's all about uh, you know uh, maximizing customer engagement, uh, whether or not they're buying that day. Yeah. Um, and I think it's uh, it's a relatively novel concept, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of things that are still you know um, work in progress uh, or that need to be fleshed out, um, or there's a lot of experimentation that needs to be done. Um, and uh, I ultimately the you know like people uh, are focusing on this, or people um, are taking time to uh, talk about it or think about it is what makes uh, the whole thing a mix. Um, so I think there's, we're just really at the beginning, uh, of this, uh, thinking of, um, a loyalty, not as a program or as a, uh, you know, a bank of points, uh, but really a way of, um, doing business, uh, and, um, you know, building commerce. Um, so I think it's a very exciting space. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of just being, you know, a part of the business, uh, it can really become the core of the business, um, which, you know, allows companies to then be um, successful and um, uh, long lasting like never before. Well said, Ude. That uh, is exactly music to my ears. I'm going to uh, to quote you on that. Loyalty as a way of doing business. Um, so certainly not just a program. So uh, thank you so much for investing both of your time. Um, as you know, this, this whole show is intended to be educational and inspirational. And both of you have contributed extraordinary insights today. So Ude Fabra, Chief Executive Officer for Lagarde Travel and Adam McCarthy, Chief Information Officer. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you. Thank you. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. 
The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.